No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is nobody. This is the end of my look at consciousness and death and how they interact uh, for now. It'll be picked up again at a later date, no doubt, through other conversations with people, but I can tell you for now, putting a pin in this, holy crap, getting way too difficult and heady trying to figure out exactly how to talk about all this language. Uh, Before I dive into all that and why, I wanted to say Happy New Year if you're listening to this relatively close to the time of release. It is January 2nd here, and I wanted to just say thank you for listening. As always, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, please reach out to me at yourdead2 at gmail, Y-O-U-R-E-D-E-A-D-T-O-O at gmail.com, or on Instagram or Twitter at yourdead2. Uh, Happy to engage however necessary. Other than that, thank you for listening. This is always a pleasure. I enjoy our talks every week. Um, I know it's weird stuff. It's been the end of the holiday season here, so... um, Things are finally quieting down and getting back to a semblance of normal life, and uh, I've fully, uh, I've gotten to that point where it's just like, okay, I need to get, you know, back into a functioning member of society mode where I can actually be a normal person and just stop eating cookies all the time because this is no way to live, clearly. I need to be a little healthier and uh, (laughs) I need to just engage a little more. So this is, it's good for me to be done with the holidays. It was quiet here for New Year's. Uh, Our family just celebrated here, kept it very low key, and I was happy to have uh, kept it that simple. It's just, it's, (laughs) I don't want to sound lazy. It's just easier that way. Um, My favorite take that I've seen on uh, on Twitter has been, and I forget the sources for this, uh, but somebody saying when they said to 2019, come at me, uh, I would like to formally apologize. I did not mean that, and I was not prepared for what 2019 would throw at me. And for 2020, please uh, come at me as gently as possible. Also, the other best take was, (laughs) that's another year? How many of these things are there? Like, it just goes on and on, and it never stops. So it... This is growing up. This is what it is. This is just one foot in front of the other, and we'll figure this out one step at a time. Uh, I worry about a lot of different things, frankly, um, tons of things. But that's that's what my uh, <laughs> that's what my therapy and that's what my uh, acts of exercise and meditation are for. Um, but thankfully, I've been able to keep in mind the fact that some of the stuff is just above my pay grade, and I've only got my time span here. And that's how much I can enjoy it. You know, I, I only know that if things go really well, I'll get another, um, I don't know, 60, 80 years, if that. Uh, with the way science marches on, I don't know. Well, who knows? But I just need to enjoy the time that I have here now and focus on being here and being now, not in the, you know, meditative sense, but just in the, hey, don't worry about tomorrow when you're still in today mindset of just, you know, have a plan, but just try to be alive, you know, don't, don't fret about stuff that's just above your pay grade. So, uh, like I said, this is, uh, the end of the consciousness and death series for now. Um, part six, because it's just, it's, it's weird and wild stuff. So let's just Okay. So like I said, 
Uh, this is the, I'm putting a pin in death and consciousness right now because <laughs> it's just, it's too weird. I can't, uh, it's, it's so inherently difficult to dig into. Um, I will straight up cop to the notion that I have bit off more than I can chew. It's, it's difficult to be able to, um, parse this and kind of explain it all and try to break out thoughts without feeling like it's a snake eating its own tail, you know, that I, that I'm able to kind of explain things in a way that makes sense without it becoming this, you know, red string all over a corkboard connecting clues together and I sound like a serial killer. It's, I, you know, I want to get back to the roots of what this podcast is supposed to be about, talking about, uh, the fact that we are all going to die someday and that, um, you know, how do we face that and how do we handle that? Because this death and consciousness stuff, I absolutely love talking about it, but it becomes a very um, self-gratifying task where I am very pleased with myself for how I can talk about this stuff, but I can uh, I, <laughs> I can see download numbers and, whoo boy, uh, people are not interested. And, you know, <laughs> that's, I would rather not push people away. Um, I'd like to have a little more fun with this and, uh, I would like to kind of, you know, get recalibrated and get back on the track. You know, maybe after the deep dive that I did on funerals, I want to find another subject that I can do that with. So consciousness and death has been really, really fun for me. I just, I get the feeling that it's a slog for other people. Um, it's not for everybody because it's inherently a weird esoteric, um, frankly terrifying thing that you know facing that final moment of is it now or is it now 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 is it now now right right now uh you know that that salami slicing of the moment trying to figure out when the actual final thing happens and what that entails and what that change means um it's in some ways that's asking people to face the worst part of it as opposed to you know, what you would conventionally think of as spooky stuff, like graves and cremation, um, that is surprisingly to me more palatable for some people than thinking about what happens to our minds when we die. And again, that's my inherent bias. So that's kind of why I'm doing all this is to figure all this out. But that's, you know, I need to keep that in mind when I'm talking about this stuff. I also want to get more guests back on because it's really fun for me to talk to people about this stuff. And I can sit here and talk to Lynn Blue in the face, obviously, but I like hearing other people's stories and like hearing their perspectives. So I want to be able to have uh, more people on and not just resort to uh, Skype phone calls and knowing how the audio quality suffers. I want to make sure I'm putting my best foot forward and have a nice uh, interview space down here in the basement and not make it too creepy. Um, so, you know, I want to kind of get it back to what the ship was proper and, uh, Hopefully people will enjoy that with me. But to kind of wrap up consciousness and death, I've been really struck by the difficulty of the abstract notion of what this issue is because I've at the same time been doing some deep diving on more hard-lined um, STEM-based science stuff uh, as far as what I was kind of hoping would be some woo-woo kind of bullshit entertainment for myself actually turned out to be a pretty heady, uh, dry science text about, um, stars and the cosmos and the precipitous nature of the development of life in the universe. And it really has been kind of an embarrassing experience to realize how little I actually know and can base any of what I'm saying 
on any empirical evidence whatsoever. So much of what I'm going off of in talking about consciousness and death is just based on not hearsay, but just subjective experience. And that's kind of the issue is that it's it's so immeasurable according to current standards that we have. And, you know, I talked about this in the episode where I did a deep dive into the book by Mary Roach, uh, Spooked, which was a lot of fun. Um, yet that was kind of the flip side where it was almost too flippant. I don't know, but it just, I got to find a sweet spot where I've got a little more science to back it up, but it just, it really, I've been struck by how little actual uh, research there is that I've been able to glean so far on consciousness and death. I mean, there are studies and things and experiments that have been done, but in any kind of like demonstrable, repeatable way, it's really difficult to get some of the stuff back out there or at least in any kind of digestible, um, like parsable, is that a word? Probably not a word, in a manner that can be parsed. <laughs> um, way for people to digest it without it becoming just too self-satisfying. Like I said, it's it's more about, or rather what I've run into has been more, not touchy-feely, but just so based on the abstractness of it, like I was saying. Um, it's just, it's that the gap between what's provable and what's not, and that's what's so difficult. You know, I mean, there are, On one hand, things that I've been reading and listening to, um, the Astonishing Legends podcast did a great two-part series on near-death experiences that would I would highly recommend getting into. It's, I think, a total of like five or six hours on, um, on all the research that they did and being able to kind of digest that and spit that back out. It's, they covered a lot of territory and had to do tons and tons and tons of research across multiple hosts to be able to talk about it, and I can see why that would be... Uh, you know, as a one-man mom-and-pop operation here, <laughs> I'm a little outgunned. And uh, no, kudos to them for doing a great job with it. I just, uh, again, at, at the risk of alienating my entire audience, I don't want to just resort to reading dense text on the air. Um, but, you know, there there have been things that I've come across, like demonstration of monitoring of the electrical signals and... Um, neurological activity in the brains of uh, lab rats when they're being basically put down or, you know, killed in some way that there is the predictable moment of end or death when the brain ceases to function. But it, immediately prior to that, there is this big burst of energy that we're not sure we, as in Western science, is not certain if that's just an explosion of energy based on a deoxygenated brain grasping for a way to soothe panic or if that's actually something happening. Um, so there, that's at least a repeatable, demonstrable thing that there is this burst of energy in a dying brain. But again, what is the end of that consciousness then? Is it, I mean, that's assuming in any relatable way that the rat shares a, a beingness with humans that as I've talked about in previous episodes, it's difficult to even get to that point of are we, is that relevant, you know, to compare those two? And that's that's kind of, the, you know, the same issue that I'm running into here is this is so 
hats upon hats of like how many ideas do I have to trust up to figure out how, how to explain this because it's it becomes nuanced in a way that I, I'm I'm not certain I can do justice to. So that was one interesting thing that I found out while looking further into this. Uh, additionally, that there have been very clear attempts to in essence, isolate the conscious experience that, you know, shy of going to the brain in a vat theory of what is humanity, but more so a particular stroke victim, uh, a woman who had a large uh, blood clot in her brain that was risking rupture and was going to explode, essentially, unless it was properly handled. So the doctors that were going to do this uh, procedure ended up... Um, eliminating all external influence, you know, putting essential uh, blinders on the patient and then putting uh, white noise in her ears so that it would be a consistent, trackable, um, like, signal going into the brain. And then they actually lowered the patient's body temperature to 65 degrees and then uh, completely exsanguinated her, uh, drained all of the blood from her body so that there would be no chance of any blood actually getting to the stroke or the you know the embolism to uh, cause it to further rupture. So they, in doing so, drained all of the blood from the body, uh, cut off all external stimuli to the brain, and then lowered the body temperature demonstrably. I mean, like actual factual. That's kind of as dead as it gets for a lot of people and a lot of the definitions that we have in modern day science, and. In doing so, this woman had the essential near-death experience of leaving her body and not interacting, but like having clear indication of people in the room that she had previously been unaware of, having conversations about specific things, and then when she came back to it, basically making note of that and like speaking to the doctors about it, and the doctors kind of poo-pooing her and telling her to get more rest. But again... As amazing as that is, that's just a person's subjective take, and so it's so difficult to ascribe anything other than a very specific, limited type of weight to it, if that is giving any justice to what it is that I'm trying to convey here, that I love talking about this stuff, but it's so it's so particular to what it is that it's, you know, it's like those Zen Coens of... Uh, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Or if a tree falls in the forest, is there a sound to be heard for it? Like, it's the <laughs> the inherent nature of it just makes it so impossible to talk about. Um, it is, for me, it was interesting to find out that across humanity, these near-death experiences, whatever they are, um, seem to have a constant universal nature to them in that there's something that happens consistently and happens uh, fairly similarly in broad strokes across all of humanity in about 20% of the population. Now that's 20% of the population that survives a near-death experience. And then of those people who are the ones, those are the ones who actually remember it and can share the experience. You know, it, it's been noted that you dream every night whether or not you actually recollect it. You know, not everybody remembers all their dreams. Some people never remember their dreams. Frankly, I like it when I don't because I'm 
an anxious person, as I've noted many times before, my dreams often take the form of, uh, you know, some stress or anxiety situation that I'd rather resolve. And I've been having a little more mindfulness of the dream logic of them, like kind of wondering, wait, how did I get to this room if I left that room to go over here? Like kind of piecing together the dream logic of it. But it's just the way our minds operate. And I talked about this last week. I don't think it's just some dodge, but it's it's almost as though it's kind of this trick that the mind does that in order to function like, I'm not breaking any new ground here speaking about the idea that um, the mind is the filter device. You know, I, again, I talked about this last week on uh, talking a bit about Aldous Huxley, that the mind acts as a filter to kind of filter duh, all the information that's coming in through the world to help you just get from point A to point B, get food in your belly, get a place to sleep that's safe and to avoid predators when there is something more happening beyond this, that there is some kind of... Um, I don't know, something ephemeral, something strange and unique happening above and beyond that. So maybe the brain is just this limiter. Maybe it's just a capacitor for daily functioning that really we need to free it up to do more. I mean, if... And I don't want to talk about the book that I'm reading right now because I don't want to just malign the author, but it has to do with, um, like I said, cosmological stuff of just development of life across the galaxy but the author just is kind of i don't know rubs me the wrong way but in the book he's talking to somebody who is uh involved with the un's push to have a a global delegate basically for dealing with uh potential extraterrestrials like how would we go about even handling that and as it turns out they go from a very dry scientific discussion of the politics of it and how you know what country's providence it would be to enhance like all of these dry you know geopolitical ramifications to basically what how would we recognize life in anything beyond a biological form like what if to kind of go off of the uh, you know the often ballyhooed drake equation of all of these limiters that might prohibit us from getting off the planet and finding life out in the stars that if we get to a certain advanced point enough, why would we bother going out if it's such a if it's such an abyss out beyond all of this? If space is just this endless vacuum, why wouldn't we just go in forever? And if the if the molecules and the way that the universe operates you know, the rules suggest somehow that this is a hologram, that all of this is an illusion somehow that maybe we are part of a simulation, you know, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe that's why all of this breaks down. But again, I'm not, I'm not putting on my tinfoil hat and I'm not getting conspiratorial here, but this is just, this is the nature of the beast. This is how difficult it is to try to figure out how to handle this stuff because it's so, and, and I should clarify the reason I was talking about that with the book is that it's, what we seem to approach as a really dry scientific, uh, factual experimentation and, you know, proving results and repeating them, it, it quickly becomes so apparent that as we do this, as we dig into it, 
we're just really limited by our own bias and our own scope of how things look to us. Like the universe is tilted in just such a way that life happens to organize in a certain way. And to, I don't know. It's just, this is some, it's some noodle baker stuff, man. It's, I don't know. It's, and, and on top of that, there's, It's like trying to describe dreams to people, you know? If you're not a part of it, you can't get to this intrinsic we little weirdness of it that, you know, the the example that people always make talking about dreams are like, you were there, but you weren't really you. You know, the idea that you're visualizing or perceiving something in your brain that recognizes, well, I think it was my dad over here, but it looked like a policeman, but I could tell it was my dad. Like, is that just a neural conflation of the idea of authority figures or paternal figures or like societal rules or restrictions? Like how do different things manifest in our brains? I've heard such conflicting stuff about dreams over the course of my life that I want to find out more about them too, of course, as I dig further down the rabbit hole on this stuff, that how do you impart this inherently subjective thing that how do you mesh the mystical with you know telling somebody about it and as we talk about this stuff it we we can't help but color it with our own personal influence on it if that makes any sense you know the second that we try to describe something and put words to paper or you know try to share with somebody what an experience is you are already influencing it and putting your own spin on it without even intending to. Like it, Heisenberg, no, was it Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that, no, I don't think that was it. Whatever, the point is just by observing the results of something, you interfere with it or you influence the outcome of the results by observing it. That you can't, you, you basically, the only way to do it would be to share the experience. You know, I, I've been... <laughs> I've been working really hard to consistently meditate and see where that takes me. Just if nothing else, it for me serves as a way to let the monkey mind just run around and let off some energy. But I've noticed when I'm in a good place or if I'm hitting the right frequency, if that makes any sense, like if my mind is a... <sighs> sounds nuts I know thank you for listening this is just this is why I gotta hang up this <laughs> it's like I give up the ghost on consciousness and death at the moment because so if my mind is like a, a tuner and I get in on the right frequency and I'm able to put things out of mind sufficiently to the point that I'm you know either working on a mantra or just trying to be still and be present and be you know of the now um, under the right circumstance I can get you know, it starts with like losing the sensation of my hands, which sounds like how do you notice when there's something that's not there? But I can feel, you know, spatial positioning and, you know, body integrity to know that my entire body is here and yet I can't feel my hands. Like they, I lose bit by bit a sense of the physical self and I start to get this kind of cosmic or like mental vertigo where it feels like I'm stretching out or not changing shape, but like distance is wrong somehow or something is changing that nothing is different about how I'm sitting. It's strictly just a mental state, but it, everything begins to feel different. And 
it's not a repeatable thing. Like I can't just command it to happen. It's happened enough times that I can recognize kind of how to like reverse flow my way into it. If that, man, this, this is terrible. <laughs> this is all just garbage. I'm not going to edit any of this. I'm just going to put this all out because it's just so uh, embarrassing and stupid and raw and real. Um, but uh, that included, um, I can't consistently make it happen, but I can do that over and over again. And kind of my cursory investigation into it of like, you know, strange sensation when meditating. If you Google that, it's just pages and pages of stuff of people saying, well, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? And it's, it's a common thing that happens. It's, and that's something that I can just sit and experience. I know that I'm not, you know, three glasses of wine in or exhausted from dealing with whatever I've dealt with in the day or like sleep deprived. Like I can tell what my own, like I can, I can feel that something weird is happening and I, I don't have any metric to explain it. And maybe that's what's happening with all of this is that there is some kind of, you know, burgeoning science to explain what happens and, you know, what happens when you flick the light off, the room goes dark. There is a, a progression to that. It's not, you know, the light has a speed of light, yes, but it, it <laughs> like if the sun flicked off, it would take eight minutes for that absence of light to reach us. Like there is, even with the cosmological, you know, demonstrable scientific facts of the universe, there's still some stuff where we've figured out, you know, what is, is not permanently fixed, you know, change is the only constant. And so if this is an experience that I'm having now, is it, as simple as just, well, you close the laptop and that's it. Or, I mean, you know, are you more like the internet and you're living out there beyond the borders of your own computer? Like, I just, I don't know. And on top of that, if anybody is experiencing this stuff, like I've had people sit here, it, it look at me in the eye and tell me their experience and I, I, I don't know how to process it. I don't know what to take from it. I've, I've known about this stuff. I've had a year to dwell on it, and I know I've done some investigation into it, but I'm not necessarily any – I have no way of thinking that I'm any closer to any truth to this whatsoever other than just trusting that I'm on a journey and I know I'm walking. I just hope I get somewhere, um, but that that act of walking doesn't have any inherent goodness or badness, and just walk to walk. Don't walk to get somewhere. Just do it. So I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to take it. So for now, I'm going to put a pin in consciousness and death because you can hear just how disorienting it gets to go down the rabbit hole of what does this all mean? How does this get sorted from moment A to moment B? It's, uh, what is the arrow? Something's arrow where you fire the arrow from point A, you you will never technically land at point B because you keep measuring where it is during the flight of the arrow. It's always splitting into further halves. Oh God, I can't even form a sentence anymore. Point is, we're going to talk about some more death-related stuff next week. And 
uh, I need to take a break from from consciousness and death because this is uh, a hall of mirrors, and I don't want anybody to get lost in here with me. I'd rather step outside, find something a little more relatable that we can all kind of have a, a shared conversation about, and maybe approach this again when I've either got better clarity or uh, somebody to share an experience with. So if you'd like to, write in. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week with a bit more of a, a bit more of a firm-footed grasp on what it is that we're doing here. Thanks.